Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We learned in the last previous chapter that in order for the Torah mitzvah to ascend, to be elevated, you have to do the mitzvah with a proper intent. And he explained you have two types of love. You have a natural love, which taps into the natural instinctive love that every Jew feels towards Hashem. Then the Torah mitzvah are elevated to the world of formation. And then you have a more elevated love, a love, a deep love. It's based on a deep understanding and that energy elevates the mitzvah to a much higher level to the world of creation. But what if a person studies Torah and does mitzvot without any intention? So if he has a negative intention, in other words, he's egotistically motivated and driven, then you actually cause the Torah mitzvah to descend into exile because it covers up on the Torah and the mitzvot. The ego actually covers up on the Torah and mitzvot. What if a Jew studies Torah just out of habit, because he was raised that way? And there's no intent, no negative intent, and no positive intent. He's not egotistically motivated and driven, and he's not positively motivated. He's not thinking about Hashem, but he's also not thinking about himself either. It's not a, uh, he's not egotistically motivated. He's just studying Torah because that's what a Jew does. He's been trained as a child that a Jew studies Torah. So that Torah mitzvot cannot be elevated. But he said that the difference between whether you study Torah with a negative motivation or you study Torah with a neutral, no motivation, is that when you study Torah with a negative motivation, then you've actually increase negative energy. You've brought negative energy into the world. And for that, you have to do teshuva. For that, you have to repent. You have to change. And it's only when you repent, then the Torah mitzvah that you've studied and fulfilled could be elevated. What if you study Torah without any positive intent, but also without any negative intent? Then the Torah remains neutral. The Torah remains parked in this world. It's not elevated. But you don't need teshuvah because you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything negative. You studied Torah. You did something holy. But you had no holy intention. You had no godly intention. So there's no energy. There's no energy to, el- to lift up this Torah and lift up this mitzvot and cause it to soar. So it's flat. The Torah remains flat. But for this, it suffices. It's enough for you to repeat what you've learned and to study it for the right intention. Then when you repeat what you've learned, and this time around you study it with the right intention, then it carries with it all the Torah that you've studied the last time without the proper intention. So you don't need to do teshuva because you don't have to undo anything negative. But the mitzvot remain flat. There's no energy for it to soar, for it to lift up. So the moment you, you get around to it and you study Torah the next time, and this time you, you study Torah, you get it right. This time you study Torah properly, it elevates not only the Torah that you're studying now, but also the Torah you've studied earlier. That's one difference.
between a negative energy and a neutral energy. And now he's going to explain in chapter 40 that there is another difference between a negative energy and a positive energy. And what's the difference? And the difference is that although when a Jew studies Torah, just out of training, no intent, no holy intent, no awareness of godliness, he's not thinking about God, he just is going through the motions. It's technical, it's mechanical. So although the Torah and the mitzvah cannot be elevated to godliness, because there's no godly motivation to their Torah mitzvah, they're not even thinking about God at the time of while, while they're learning Torah, while they're doing the mitzvah. They're just going about their duties mechanically, without soul, without thought, without awareness, without feeling, just going through the motions, like a body without a soul. So although the Torah mitzvah cannot be elevated, into godliness, but nevertheless they are elevated. Not to godliness, but they're elevated to the world of angels. Within the world, there's the internal part of the world, which is the godliness of the world, which is the ten sefirot, the ten godly emanations of that world, as God manifests himself in that world. Just like God manifests himself through the world of emanation, God manifests himself through intellect, the world of creation, and God manifests himself through Emotions of the world of formation, and God manifests himself, himself through action, the world of action. So you have the ten sefirot, which is the godliness of the world, the core, the essence of the world, but then you have the world itself, where the creatures of that world reside. In our world, it's us, human beings, and other creatures, and in the upper world, it's the angels. But the angels are not God. The angels are separate beings from God. The ten emanations, the ten sefirot, they are emanations from within God. But the, the angels are beings and creatures that reside in this world. So it's the external part of the world. So the Torah mitzvah that a Jew does without any intent is not elevated and does not become absorbed with a godliness. But it is elevated and they do become part of the world, of the higher world of the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. Not godliness, but of spirituality. So they are elevated to the spiritual realm, the realm of the angels, the realm of the spirit. But the world of the angels is a holy world. So since they've studied Torah and they're, they're doing a mitzvah and there's no negative intent, yes, they're going through the motions. Yes, it's just mechanical and by rote. But there's no negative intent. There's no ego intent. There's no negative energy that, that they're generating or creating. It's just a neutral event. So it's neutral and far as far as that, that the, the Torah mitzvah do not become absorbed and one with godliness. But they do become absorbed and they are elevated into the world of holiness, into the world of angels. But the, when a person studies Torah and his motivation is ego, his motivation is a negative motivation, then not only isn't the Torah mitzvah elevated into the world of into the higher worlds, into the spiritual worlds, but the, the Torah mitzvot remain flat. So not only do you need shuva in order to elevate the Torah, but the Torah mitzvot remain completely flat. They're not elevated at all. Because they can't be elevated. Even to the external part of the world of holiness. Because it's the antithesis of holiness. When you study Torah and the motivation is ego, 
Not only aren't you thinking about God, you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about ego, the antithesis of God. So you actually generate a negative energy. You're distancing the Torah and mitzvah from anything that's holy. Of course, the core of the Torah itself always remains holy because the Torah is God's will and the mitzvah are God's will and the Torah is God's mind. So that's incorruptible. That always remains holy. Which is why when a person does the shuva, if a person studies Torah with the wrong reasons and is negatively motivated, but when you study Torah, even when you're negatively motivated, you can ultimately do teshuvah. How can you do teshuvah? If the Torah mitzvah that you've done is nothing, what does teshuvah help? How can repentance help? But of course the answer is no, because when you do Torah, you do mitzvot, even when you're negatively motivated. The halacha says, even when a Jew, let's say a Jew is very coarse, and is very arrogant, and the only thing that he cares about, the only thing that will get him to study Torah mitzvot is a negative motivation. Oh, I'm going to be a big shot. People are going to respect me. People, or I can make a career out of it. Being a rabbi has become a career, like anything else. There's engineers, there's doctors, and there's rabbis. It's a career. This is what I do. I'm a rabbi. Okay. It's purely egotistical, purely ego-motivated. God has nothing to do with anything. It's not about worshiping God. It's not about being godly. It's not about becoming egoless. It's another respectable career. Not as good, not as well-paying as others. <laughs> but, but it's a career. So what God has nothing to do with this. It's purely ego. So the Torah says, Allah says, that even when a person is negatively motivated, but that's the only thing that's going to get him to study Torah and do mitzvot. So the Lord says, let him study Torah and do mitzvot. Even though he's increasing in negative energy and he's plunging the Torah and mitzvot into the toilet bowl and he's taking God and putting him in captivity, putting him in the deepest, darkest dungeon. So God, the king, is there. You have the, you have the king, but the king is in the dungeon. But as long as you have the king. Once the king is there, then you can always change. You can always do tshuva and take the king out of the dungeon and put him back in the palace where he belongs. But if you don't study Torah and don't do mitzvah, then you have nothing. You don't have the king. So Allah says, study Torah, do mitzvah, because the Torah itself is holy. The mitzvah itself is holy. It has nothing to do with the human being, nothing to do with our consciousness, nothing to do with our state of mind, our frame of reference. The Torah itself is holy. Torah does not receive impurity. Study Torah, do mitzvah. But if you study Torah for negative reasons, you're actually increasing, you're using holiness to increase in negative energy. Because by taking something holy and being fueled by ego, selfish, egotistical motivation, you're actually increasing in, in the antithesis of holiness. And in that case, the mitzvot cannot be elevated. The mitzvot remain in this world. They remain trapped in this world, in this physical, coarse, materialistic world. Like the Baal Shem Tov said when he came into that synagogue, he says, you have to walk out. He says, it's so full of Torah. You have to walk out. Because the mitzvot, the Torah, remained trapped. Because everything was ego. Everyone was studying Torah because he wanted to show how brilliant they are how original, how creative, how brilliant, had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with godliness, nothing to do with egolessness, nothing to do with holiness. 
as a matter of fact, was the exact opposite of holiness, the antithesis of holiness. So the more Torah, the more mitzvot they learned, the more they generated negative energy. And the Torah remained stuck in this world. So when a Jew studies Torah without any holy intention, but also without a negative egotistical motivation or intention, he's not studying Torah because it's his career. He's studying Torah because a Jew has to study Torah. He's been trained as a youth to study Torah. That's what Jews do. They study Torah, they do mitzvah. Yes, he's doing it mechanically and by rote. He's not aware of God. He's not motivated by God. There's no love of God. There's no feeling for God. There's no sense of any relationship, any connection to God. He's just doing it. He's doing his duty. He's doing his, doing his obligation. But there's no negative intention either. He's not being motivated by ego. So there, the Torah is not flat. The Torah does rise. It rises to the holy world of angels. It rises to the world of spirituality. Not godliness, but spirituality. Because you're doing something holy. You're doing something. Torah is holy. Intrinsically holy. Mitzvot are intrinsically holy. Since I don't have any negative intention, so the mitzvot, Torah mitzvot will rise to the world of the angels. But not to the world, not to godliness, the godliness of the world. But it will rise to the world of spirituality. So it's not in this world, it's not trapped in this world. But it's not godly either. Versus when you study Torah with a negative motivation, not only doesn't it rise to godliness, not only doesn't it rise, it doesn't even rise to the level of the world of the angels, the spirituality. And the Torah remains trapped in this course gross and egotistical world. Torah is captive. In pain. You're chaining the Torah in handcuffs and chaining the Torah into this world. Instead of the Torah soaring and becoming spiritual and becoming godly, the Torah remains trapped and chained in this physical, materialistic that's what he starts out explaining in the beginning of chapter 40 if the reward for the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself then does it matter what, whether it ascends? and the answer is yes it matters very much because just like God desired to do the mitzvah there's also a mitzvah that God wants us to love God and to be in awe of God and that should motivate us to do all the other mitzvahs whereas God wants us to become godly. He doesn't only want us to do godly and to think godly and to act godly, but he also wants us to be godly. He wants us to be motivated. He wants us to be aware of godliness. He wants us to become godly. He wants us to become spiritual and sensitive because the whole purpose of Torah and mitzvot is to transform the material into something godly, to make transform this world into a dwelling place, a home for God. To take the material, the physical, which by its nature is the antithesis of godliness, and by doing a mitzvah with it, to transform it into a holy object, into a godly object. It becomes part of God. It becomes forever transformed into something godly and holy. So the mission of a Jew, the mission, the whole purpose of the mitzvah is to transform this world into a dwelling place for God. But God doesn't want a dark home. He doesn't just want you. When the king is in the dungeon, he's also there. So you've accomplished a dwelling place.
But Achim Veit is such a dwelling place. Is that how you invite the king to your house? You, you, you slack him up in the dungeon? You tie his hands? Oh, well, the king is here. What else, what else matters? As long as I have the king. They say misery loves company. <laughs> <laughs> so you're inviting the king. The king also likes luxurious accommodations, five-star accommodations. And that depends up, uh, that's up to us. This is where our personal subjective state of mind makes all the difference in the world. Depending on how refined we are, depending on how deep we are, depending on how spiritual we are, that's how we upgrade the accommodations. <laughs> you can stay in a, in a one-star hotel. You can stay in a two-star hotel. Or a four-star hotel. Or a five-star hotel. What kind of accommodation? God wants the highest accommodations. You're giving God the suite, or you're giving him the locker room. Of course, the king is here. It doesn't matter to the king. The king is here whether he's in the dungeon or whether he's in the five-star suite. The king is the king. But are you imprisoning the king? Are you chaining him? Are you, are you putting him in the dungeon, a dark place? Or you're giving him a beautiful place, beautiful suite, five-star. So that depends on you. This is where the human being comes in. This is where your personal subjective self matters. How egoless are you? How spiritual are you? How sensitive are you? How connected are you? How aware of, are you of Godliness? The more aware you are, the more the connection you have to God, the more the love you have to God, the more the sense of awe you have of God, you elevate the mitzvah, you upgrade the mitzvah to a whole different dimension. It becomes part of godliness, but a higher level of godliness, a higher expression of godliness, a much greater, a much greater, more intense revelation of godliness. That's up to us, and that's also part of the, that's also what God wanted. It's a package deal. God wanted a dwelling place, but a dwelling place for him, for godliness. He wants you to sense godliness. Because the ultimate purpose is that this world will become transformed and this world should be a vehicle and a vessel and a home where godliness will be completely revealed. Mashiach will come, godliness will be completely manifest in this world. You will feel godliness. And how do we make Mashiach happen? He said it's an activist program. By, by us studying Torah today, by us doing mitzvah today, we make Mashiach happen. So since the whole purpose is Mashiach and the whole purpose is when godliness will become revealed, it's not only that God is here, but godliness will become revealed, so we also have to prepare for that by revealing godliness within our us, within our soul. We reveal godliness within our soul. The more we sense godliness, the more we respond to godliness, the more we become godly. Our hearts are on fire, our minds are open, our, our pleasure, everything is directed and focused on godliness then that's also part of the preparation. That's the purpose. We prepare, not only we prepare the dwelling place, we prepare the revelation of the dwelling place. But if you're coarse and egotistical, and all you have is the mitzvah, but it's done mechanically by rote, and you're a coarse human being and remain a coarse individual, unchanged, unrefined, unmoved by God, untouched, unchanged by God. God hasn't affected you, hasn't inspired you, hasn't moved you, hasn't changed you hasn't elevated you, then the mitzvot remain flat, trapped, chained, imprisoned. And God is in pain. So you brought him, mission accomplished, but instead of sitting in first class, he's in the stowaway. 
he's tied up hidden under, under the chair, under the table. No, that, that's not what God wanted. So you, have, you can have a whole world, of, a whole community, a whole world of people studying Torah and doing mitzvot. And yet there's no godliness. There's no refinement. The, the motivation is pure ego. I want to perfect myself. I want to sharpen my mind. I want to stand out and be noticed. I want to be respected. I want to be honored. I, 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 I. God, what does God have to do with anything? So you're bringing God in and you're chaining him and torturing him. Yes, you brought the king in, but you're torturing him. So it, this is the mitzvah, the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself because you have God. But if you have God, then the whole, the whole being has to be God. God is a total, absolute reality. So if you have God, God has to transform you absolutely and touch you emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and every level, every dimension of yours has to be touched and moved and connected. Otherwise, that's not the purpose. That's not what God wanted. So yes, the Torah says that even if a Jew is egotistical, study Torah. But not, God forbid, because that's okay and that's enough. No. Study Torah. So yes, You've stowed God, he's like a stowaway. He's bound, he's chained, he's tortured, but he's on the plane. Okay, then eventually you'll do tshuva. God promises that eventually every Jew will do tshuva. So eventually you'll get your act together. Eventually you'll mature. Eventually you'll grow up. And then when you'll do tshuva, when you'll repent, you'll do tshuva, then you'll release the bounds. And then God is there. But if you didn't study the Torah, you didn't do the mitzvah, then you have nothing. You don't have the king. Because meditation alone, spirituality alone, love alone is absolutely meaningless and nothing, zero. It's the mitzvah, it's the deed, it's the action. That's where you have the king. That's God's will. So even in the worst case scenario, where you're actually studying Torah with a negative intention, and you're actually increasing negative energy in this world, taking holiness and directing it toward negativity, the more Torah you study, the more egotistical you become, the more distant you become from godliness. The more you're torturing God. God is in pain, is in agony. Your arrogance, God can't stand your arrogance, but you're training him. He's there, he's present, but he's never in pain. Even in the worst case scenario, study the Torah, so at least you have the Torah, you have God. And then you wake up and realize, oh my God, what have I been doing for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? I've been torturing God non-stop, day and night. Because I'm studying Torah, I'm in Yeshiva, I'm studying Torah, I'm doing mitzvot. But I'm so coarse, so egotistical, so far and distant from anything godly and holy that my Torah didn't even, wasn't even elevated to the world of the angels, let alone to the ten svirot, the God to become godly itself. My Torah and mitzvot are flat and trapped in this world. And as he's going to explain, the Talmud says that praised is the person who comes after 120 years, after he passes away, comes into this world with his Talmud in his hands. So he explains, what does that mean with his Talmud in his hands? Because there's a scenario where you study Talmud all your life, but you can't take it with you in heaven. Because the Talmud that you studied was egotistically motivated. 
And that Torah remains trapped in this world. Your soul goes to heaven, but your, your Torah doesn't help you. Your Torah is trapped in this world. Fortunate is the person who, after 120 years, can take the Torah with him. Because the Torah was soared. Torah was fine, was light, egoless, was spiritual, was deep, was real, was godly. Therefore, the Torah source. How can you tell how egoless you are? Because even if you say, I want to be egoless, isn't that motivated by ego? How do you, how do you tell that you've taken yourself out of it when you're kind of in the middle of it? For starters, you have to think about God. I'm doing the mitzvah because A, God commanded me to do the mitzvah. B, because I love God and the only way to connect with Him is through the mitzvah. So you have to be aware. Without awareness, nothing happens. You have to be aware. Just like when you do a favor to your friend. Why are you going to do a favor to your friend? Because you love him. So you're thinking about it. And it's your love that motivates you to go ahead and do the mitzvah. You have to think to yourself, why am I about to do this mitzvah? Why am I about to light this Shabbat candle? Why am I about to put on the tefillin? Because I love God and I want to do this mitzvah. So that, that's the basic, the elementary. There has to be some thought, some process, some, even if it's not a full-blown full emotion, full-fledged emotion, but there has to be some thought and awareness. I'm doing this because I love you, God. And, and this is a godly thing to do. But if you're not thinking about godliness, you, to you it's like paying income taxes. You're just going through the motions of fulfilling your duties and obligations. and Like a checklist, I have to do this and I have to do that. And, or if your motivation is fear, what kind of fear? God is going to punish me. That's not, that's not godly motivation. True, you believe in God. Because anyone who believes that there's a connection between my Torah and mitzvah and between reward and punishment, that alone is a godly faith. It's not a logical connection. If I do Torah, I'm going to be rewarded. If I, if I sin, I'm going to be punished. That's, that's faith. But that's faith that you accept, that's been ingrained in you, that you believe. But once you, once you believe that, and that becomes ingrained in you, when you're actually avoiding the sin, you're not thinking about God. All you're thinking about is, hey, God is going to beat me. I don't want to be hurt. So you're thinking about yourself. I don't want lightning to strike. I don't want to mess with the big boss. You think I'm a fool? I was born yesterday. I don't know where my, bed is, where my bread is buttered from. I'm going to start off with, with the big boss. It's like ridiculous. It's all, it's, but, but again, I'm not thinking about God. I'm thinking about me. I'm afraid. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to put my hand in the socket. I know if I go against God's will, it's like putting your hand in the electrical socket. So I don't know. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a shock. But I'm not thinking about God. I'm thinking about myself. That's not godliness. That's not a godly intention. That's self-preservation. That's ego. I want to protect myself. Or I want to do Torah mitzvah because I'm going to be rewarded. God is going to give me a nice reward. and wire some money in my bank account. I'm going to be successful. I'm not thinking about God. It has nothing to do with God. Yes, of course, it assumes that I believe in God. If I didn't believe in God, why, then I wouldn't think about the consequences of my actions. 
So of course I believe in God, but that's, that's deep down, that's buried. Every Jew believes in God deep down. But that's buried, that's hidden. Consciously I'm not thinking about God. Consciously I'm not even aware of God, I'm just thinking about myself. So that motivation is ego motivation, it's not God. When you're thinking about God is that God is my king. I'm his loyal and faithful soldier, I'm his loyal and faithful servant, and therefore God asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. That's the minimal level. A higher level is I love God. God asked me to do it and I want to connect with God. The only way I can connect with God is by, is by doing his mitzvah. And that love and that awareness and that feeling of connection motivates me to study the Torah and do the mitzvah. The deeper the love, the greater the enthusiasm in studying the Torah and doing the mitzvah. Not only you do the mitzvah, you do it beautifully. You eagerly anticipate the mitzvah. You're excited by the mitzvah. It inspires you, it moves you, it changes you. So you, you can know if you're egotistically motivated or not. If you're egoless, if you're thinking about God, you're, you're lighter, you're, you're doing the mitzvah, you're open, you're enthusiastically doing the mitzvah. You're moving, you're changing, you're growing, you're inspired. You're on the move. God is inspiring you. God is moving you. God is changing you. You see a movement in your life. If you see a movement in your life, then you know that there is a genuine motivation. And the higher level of godliness you reveal within your soul, commensurate to the level of godliness you reveal in your soul, that's the level that you'll elevate the Torah mitzvot. If you're motivated by a natural, instinctive type of love, you'll elevate the mitzvot to the world of formation, to God's manifestation, the world of formation. If you're motivated by a deep understanding and deep meditation and deep reflection, which evokes a very powerful emotion, conscious emotion to God, then you'll elevate the mitzvot to the world of creation. If you're motivated by a very mystical, pleasure-based core, where your whole core and essence has become godly, sublimated to godliness, then you'll elevate the Torah of Mitzvah to the highest unity, to intimacy with God, the world of the world of formation. So it all depends on you. This is where we come into the picture. The Torah of Mitzvah are objective. It's godly. It stands on its own. But it's when we do the mitzvah and how we do the mitzvah. That will affect the mitzvah. It will affect whether the mitzvah will be revealed. The mitzvah will be where godliness will be revealed. The more we reveal godliness within our soul, and the more we invest that in the mitzvah, the more godliness will be revealed in this mitzvah. Then this mitzvah will become an illuminated mitzvah, like a sparkling gem. So yes, the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. But like you can have diamonds that don't sparkle. They sit there, but they're in the dark. And then you have diamonds that sparkle. That depends on us. God wanted the diamond to sparkle. Not just the diamond to be there, dormant, hidden, concealed. God wanted the diamond. And you have the diamond just by doing the mitzvah. He also wanted the mitzvah diamond to sparkle. So you have to sparkle. If the person sparkles, then godliness will sparkle. The diamond, the mitzvah you have done, will sparkle. The more you sparkle, the more the mitzvah will sparkle. Its rays will spread. If you do the mitzvah flat, it's dark. It sits there. No light. It doesn't give off any light. It doesn't give off any light. It doesn't give off any heat. It sits there. 
waiting to be redeemed. Eventually, of course, all the mitzvot will be elevated and redeemed because eventually every, every one of us will do teshuvah. But until that moment, the mitzvah sits there in darkness. And in the case when you have a negative motivation, a double darkness. It's plunged in, in the deepest dungeon. And we're actually torturing God and torturing the mitzvah. And the mitzvah waits patiently for that moment when it will be redeemed. But if you don't sparkle, if the person doesn't sparkle, if the person is egotistical and crusty and coarse and selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, and spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip, then the mitzvot go nowhere. And when the mitzvot are elevated, you are elevated together with the mitzvot. The soul is elevated, inspired, and transformed. When the mitzvah is flat, your soul also remains flat. When the mitzvah plunges into the sewer, it plunges your soul together with it. The more Torah you study, the more arrogant and egotistical you become, the more distant you become from godliness. You reach a place that's the antithesis of everything that's godly and good and holy. And that's the saddest thing of all. To meet a Jew whose entire life is Torah and mitzvah, and yet is in such a dark place. The Torah is in such a dark dungeon. It's so disconnected from God, God forbid. That's the saddest thing of all. There's nothing sadder than that. And this was the revolution of the Baal Shem Tev, the revolution of the whole Hasidic movement. The Baal Shem Tev said every Jew is a diamond. But I want to make every Jew that diamond sparkle. It's not enough that the Jew is a diamond. What does it help us if the Jew remains buried under the ground, six feet under? I said, I want that Jew to sparkle. Reveal his potential. Give off light, dazzling light, brilliant light. Generate light. Illuminate. Illuminate the dark. Because that's the whole purpose. Ultimately, the whole purpose is God wanted us to bring him into this world and to illuminate the darkness of this world. And the only way we can illuminate the darkness of this world is by us sparkling and us becoming deeper, higher, broader, more refined, more spiritual, less egotistic. And that takes effort. That takes a lot of work. But it's very rewarding work work that brings results the experience is a different experience the experience of Torah mitzvot becomes a livable becomes a livable Torah an enjoyable Torah instead of looking at Judaism as a misery you look at Judaism as something pleasurable something joyful life giving inspiring moving uplifting transformational and you can't compare you can't compare a Jew who's studying Torah for the right reasons you see it on his face there's a refinement, there's an elevation there's a goodness that radiates in his face versus someone who's sour and bitter and harsh with himself and with everyone around him because this whole Torah mitzvah as the Talmud says you can study Torah and the Torah becomes a poison to you could you imagine you can study Torah and becomes like a, like a drug of life. 
Or the Torah could become like a drug, a poisonous drug. Imagine studying Torah and the Torah becomes poisonous. A poison pill. You meet people who study Torah, they're harsh, they're egotistical, they're arrogant, they're so far from anything that the, everything and everything that the Torah stands for. And yet their whole life is Torah. All they do is study Torah all day. Yet the more Torah they study, the more deeper they go into the dungeon. The more alienated they become from anything holy. The more arrogant they become. Instead of like Moshe, that was the most humble person that ever lived, every bit of Torah that he studied, refined him, transformed him, made him a better person, closer, more loving. The more Torah they study, the more distant and alienated. So this is something you have to really take to heart. It's a question that should trouble you. Am I studying Torah for the right reasons? L'shema? Or am I being egotistically motivated? Maybe it's difficult to be honest with yourself. But it's a question that should always be on your mind. Because there's a huge difference. You can't say it doesn't make any difference. As long as I'm doing Torah, what difference does it make? There's a huge difference, like night and day. Whether you're studying Torah refined, in a refined way, whether you're studying Torah in an egotistical way. The Rebbe's wife, there was in Chayim Mushka, once said, she says, when my father had visitors, when someone walked into the door, we can already tell they had an, a developed sense, a sixth sense, whether this was an egotistical, arrogant person, because he had all the rabbis of Eastern Europe come and visit him all the time. He says, you can immediately tell if the person who walked in there's an environment, there's an atmosphere. Every person who walks around, there's an aura around the person. There's an atmosphere. A person who's refined. A person who's genuine. A person who's brokenhearted. A person who's working on himself. Who's godly, who's good. Versus a person who uses the Torah to promote his own career and promote. The Torah became a career for him. As it, as it says in the Ethics of Our Fathers, we just read the very first chapter. Don't make the Torah into a, an axe. An axe that you use as a, as a living. Don't turn the Torah into a, a livelihood, into a career. Then the Torah becomes very mundane, egotistical, just like anything else. It's not a godly event. It's, it's, this is a career. This is what I do. I'm good at it. I'm, I excel. Some people excel at sharpening pencils. I excel at studying Torah. It's not, not nothing godly about it. This is where I stand out. This is where I excel. This is where, I, where people will notice me. This is where I'll get the honor I deserve. This is where I'll get the respect. What the, the Torah says such a person dies. is spiritually dead. Using the Torah as an egotistical, looking at it as just another... So, so don't, be, don't be fooled. Just because a person on the surface is a brilliant Talmudic mind doesn't mean that he's a holy person or a godly person. Could be the exact opposite. That's why the chassid always looked for the soul. Give me the soul of the person. Give me the measure of the soul of the person. Not how much Torah you studied. How much Torah you went through. But how much Torah went through you. As the Talmud says, the Talmud says a one rabbi passed away. How did the rabbis mourn him? Because he was a very coarse, coarse human being. So how did the rabbis mourn him? They said that he was a basket filled with books. They weren't complimenting. What they were saying is that he was a basket, he was like a walking encyclopedia. Today, in modern, modern times, they would have said he's a disc 
full. Today you can put the whole Torah on one disc. So as, as much as there's a connection between the disc and the Torah that it contains, between the basket and the books that it carries, that's the connection between the person, the walking encyclopedia and the Torah. He's brilliant. He knows the whole Torah backwards and forwards. He excels. But has the Torah gone through him? Has it, has it refined him one iota? Has it elevated him? Has it changed him? Has it transformed him? Has it inspired him? Has he become more humble? Has he become a better, more godly person, a more broken-hearted? No. Become more egotistical, more arrogant, more impossible. So you have to be very careful. Especially if you don't study Hasidus. Then you don't even know there's a problem. If you study chapter 39 and 38 and 39 and 40, then at least you know there's a problem. <laughs> then at least you have the awareness. You know that we know what you have to look out for. You can't diagnose an illness if you don't even know that you're ill. If you think that everything is wonderful. I'm studying Torah because I want to perfect myself. I'm studying Torah. It's a nice career. I'm studying Torah because I want to excel, because everyone in Yeshiva tells me how brilliant I am. And he doesn't even know there's anything wrong with it. I enjoy, enjoy studying Torah. I've reached the ideal. Everyone calls me rabbi. Everyone calls me scholar. If you don't even know, you can't even diagnose the sickness. You, you're, you're deathly ill and you're blissfully unaware. There's a problem. You don't even know that you're ill, that you're dying. That's the worst. That's the worst of all. That's pathetic. That's sad. That's tragic. That's a walking tragedy. At least when a person knows that he has a problem... That's already half of the cure. Diagnosing the illness is already half of the cure. So at least you're aware. So Hasidus woke up the Jewish people. The Tov woke up the Jewish people. Woke up the scholars in his time. That's why the Baal Tov students were the greatest rabbis of Eastern Europe. Rabbi Dov Ber, the one who succeeded him. It was known. He had a reputation in Europe. There wasn't a single published Jewish book that he hasn't studied 102 times. He went over and reviewed every single book published, known Jewish book, 102 times. He was a brilliant scholar. The Alter Rebbe was famous. And, and, and many of the Rebbe's, other Rebbe's, you see from the caliber of the students who the Baal Shem Tev attracted, Baal Shem Tev attracted the greatest geniuses of Eastern Europe. You can see what kind of caliber the Baal Shem Tev was, what a brilliant Torah scholar he was. Simple peasants don't attract as people of the caliber of Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad of Mizrich, who's completely mesmerized by him and transformed by him. So you can just, from the students, you can get a little measure of who the teacher was. Because he woke up, the, the, the told us Yaakov Yosef, the Polno, one of the greatest rabbis, most brilliant geniuses of his time. Because he challenged them. He woke them up. They weren't even aware that they were asleep. They weren't even aware there was a problem. The whole Torah was so dark, was so egotistically driven and motivated, without Hasidus. And the Baal to woke them up. He says, a Jew has to sparkle. Let's bring in a little sparkle, a little light, a little godliness, a little refinement. Otherwise, he walked into the synagogue, he had to walk out. And this is going back 300 years ago. He says, this house is full of Torah. I can't walk in there. Meaning this Torah was not elevated. This Torah is going nowhere. Imagine today, 300 years later, if someone is alive today and doesn't study Tanya and doesn't study Hasidus, if they were coarse and arrogant then, imagine today, Completely clueless. So it's not a luxury. Today you have to, you must study Hasidus. There's no way a person today could study Torah Lishma for the right reason and be motivated by godliness and that the Torah should soar and elevate and become absorbed within godliness without studying Hasidus. 
It's impossible. And if anyone says otherwise, it's completely delusion. So how about the other great scholars in this generation? You know, today, 300 years after the Baal Shem Tov, there's no excuse. Anyone who willfully, we're talking about 500 years after the Kabbalah. Reb Chaim Vital wrote 500 years ago. Close to 500 years ago, he wrote about the Torah scholars in his day and age who only study Talmud and don't study Kabbalah. So he said that we know this Pardis. The Torah is called, referred to as Pardis, as a garden. Pardis is Prat, Remez, Drush, Seid. Simple explanation, there are four levels of studying Torah. The simple, the Prat, the Remez, the Hint, the Drush, a little more esoteric, and the Seid and the secret. He says, what, what about those Torah scholars that don't study the Seid? What are you left with? Pered, mules. That's what he called them. This was close to 400 years ago. Imagine the times of the Imagine 40 years later today. Today there's no excuse. Anyone who willfully ignores the teachings of Kabbalah, the teachings of Hasidus, that Hashem has mercifully and revealed to all of us. And the truth be told, the, the ideas of Hasidism have percolated throughout the Jewish community. It has percolated. Anywhere you go, you'll hear stories, Hasidic stories, Hasidic ideas. It has penetrated throughout the entire Jewish community. The whole approach of loving and kindness and goodness, the whole, the whole approach how to bring Jews back in with, close, with warmth, that whole approach, the whole Hasidic approach has penetrated throughout the Jewish community. But if someone willfully says today that 300 years after the Baal Shem Tov, that we can truly achieve this level of studying Torah l'shma, of studying Torah in an egoless state, and studying Torah in a godly state, and that the Torah should really soar, and to fulfill the godly purpose, which is not only just to do the Torah and to do the mitzvah, but to do it in a godly way, in a holy way, in a, in a spiritual way. It's impossible. It's completely delusional. But if you don't study Hasidus, you don't even know there's a problem. You don't even know that you're ill. So when you study chapter 38 and 39, and now the conclusion of this whole concept in chapter 40, this opens your eyes. How integral, how essential it is for us. That we are an integral part of the Torah mitzvah. You can't just ignore the person who's studying Torah. You can't just say, as long as I do the Torah, what difference does it make? The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. No. The person's consciousness, the person's state of mind, the person's, your expanded consciousness, your depth, your intensity, your sincerity, your genuineness, makes all the difference. God wants the heart. He wants you to do the mitzvah wholeheartedly. Sincerely, genuinely, you're moved by a love of God. And that's what motivates you to do the mitzvah. When you're praying, you're not just mouthing words. God wants you to feel a connection. You're praying to God. You're pouring your heart out to God. This is real. And it makes all the difference in the world. Don't think for a moment it does. That's what he's explaining. He's trying to explain it. If you do the mitzvah with godliness, the mitzvah itself is a sparkling mitzvah. It's a different mitzvah. It's a sparkling mitzvah.
Versus if you don't do it that way, then it, it, it doesn't connect with godliness. It remains stuck in outer space, the outer world. And if you do mitzvah with negative intention, where mitzvah just become another career, Torah becomes another career, and it's all about me, myself, and I, and ego, and the world to come, the eternal ego, <laughs> you know, the ego never dies. It's all about me, myself, and I. That, then the mitzvah is in the dungeon. The mitzvah is trapped. The mitzvah is in pain. It's torture. You're torturing the mitzvah. You're torturing the Torah. You're torturing God. You've chained him. Okay, let's, but as long, in the middle of page 558. But as long as he does not review this subject, Krishna, his study does not ascend even to the tenth spherot, which radiated in the worlds of Yitzhira and Asiya, not to mention the spherot of Berea. For the spherot are a level of godliness, and the blessed iron self light is clothed within them and is united with them. Like he said earlier, depending on how, what level of Lashma you bring to the table, that's the level of the world which the Torah mitzvot will ascend. If you do the mitzvah just out of a sense that God is king and he commands you, then your mitzvot will ascend to the ten svirot of the world of action, where God manifests himself in the world of action. If you do the mitzvot with a sense of a natural love, born out of a sense of natural love, and then a sense of the world of formation and so on, to the world of creation. Okay? Therefore, with this person's Torah to ascend into the svirot, it would actually ascend to the Ein Sof light. And without fear and love, the Torah cannot rise to stand before Hashem, the Ein Sof light, as is written in Tepuni Zohar. Instead, his Torah study rises to the chambers and abodes of Yitzhira and Asiya, which are the externality of the worlds. The Sfirot are the internal aspect of each world, i.e. its divine creative power. The chambers constitute the created world itself where the angels are situated. So the godly energy that creates each world, that's what he refers to as a ten svirot, where God projects himself and creates that world, the world that it's actually created, the beings that are actually created that are apart from God, that sense themselves as apart from God, the created being, conscious beings, are, that they are, um, that's the external part of the world. And that's where the angels reside. The angels are conscious, conscious beings, they're spiritual beings, but they're conscious beings, they're not God. They're separate beings from God. Just like we are separate beings from God, we're not conscious of, of uh, that we feel ourselves as being separate from God. So too the angels feel themselves as being conscious beings, who are aware of God, who praise God, who worship God, but they're separate from God. So they reside in the worlds that are created by the divine creative energy. So the divine creative energy, that's the tenth sphere up. So when you do the mitzvot l'shma for the sake of God, then the mitzvah is elevated and becomes part of that divine energy, becomes part of the divine, of the godly. When you do the mitzvah without any intention, not with a negative intention, but neutrally, without negative, without positive, then the mitzvot are elevated. They don't, they're not elevated to the godliness, level of godliness, but they are elevated to the level of spirituality, to the level of the angels, the level of the angels. Yeah. What happens, uh, you know, when you do the mitzvah for the right reason, what happens to all your previous mitzvahs you did for the wrong reason? Are they elevated? It depends. If there was a negative motivation and it's not enough, then you have to do teshuva. You have to repent for chaining God, putting him in the dungeon. 
You think you, you, you think you could put the king in the dungeon and you don't have to pay for it? You have to you have to repent. You have to make up for it. But if there was nothing, it was neutral. It wasn't negative. It wasn't positive. Then, as soon as you study lishma, the mitzvot are elevated, right? What happens if you go back to not lishma after that? Does that take away from all the other? No, I think before? each one is separate. Each each item is a separate item. But any and let's say two different mitzvahs, they're not interconnected. If you do. One mitzvah and another? Or the no, the, the Al-Durabi says, as long as he doesn't review this subject, Lishma, it seems like you would have to learn the same Torah that you learned, learn it again, and this time do it right. It's not like you can learn a whole year Torah, and then you learn for one minute, you learn Lishma, all the Torah that you learned is elevated. It doesn't sound like it. It says you have to repeat that item that you learn. Shaloi okay. Lishma, if you learn it again, and if you review it, and this time you learn it properly, then the Torah, this same Torah that you learned last time is elevated. That's how it sounds. Like. Uh, one more question. You spoke about uh, you know, f- thinking in your mind that you have to love Hashem. Before you, whatever you're going to do, you right. think, yeah, I'm connecting to Hashem, this right. is why I'm doing it. Right. But, you know, uh, <laughs> with all due respect, to, you, know, you could say you love Hashem, but you might not mean that. You doesn't matter. Say it in your mind. Doesn't matter. Hashem, doesn't matter. You don't care about Hashem. Doesn't matter because the truth is, it is genuine. Every Jew deep down does love Hashem. So as long as you're aware of it, and that's what's motivating you to do the mitzvah, that's fine. But you're not really you're aware of it. But you're not. And you're doing the mitzvah. Experiencing it. It doesn't matter. You're, you're not do. experiencing that love. That's a higher level. So it's a lower level. So that's why you you'll only elevate the mitzvah will sparkle a little. You'll only elevate the mitzvah to the world of, of formation or the world of creation. But at least it's godly. At least you're thinking about God. You're aware of God. You're making some connection, some conscious connection to God. But imagine you go through weeks and days and weeks and months and years. You're not thinking once about God. You're not even thinking about God. But he says, even if you do, even if you're not thinking about God, you're just doing it neutrally, just because you grew up this way, because it's the right thing to do, or just mechanically by rote. But at least the mitzvah becomes elevated to the world of the world, the higher worlds. In other words, they become transformed into something spiritual. And this is what the Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers, that every time a Jew does a mitzvah, you create an angel. In addition to the angels that God created during creation, every time you do something in this world, you create an angel. If you do something positive, if you do one positive mitzvah, you create a good angel. And that angel becomes your advocate, becomes your lawyer in heaven. He's pushing for you. If you do something negative, you also create an angel. You create a negative angel. And that angel becomes your accuser. Because you've done it. You're the creator. And your creations hang hang out around you, hang out with you. You can't, you, you can't let loose. You can't fire them. They hang out with you. <laughs> it will be that easy. But you can transform them? You can transform You can do teshuva through tears, through mending, through teshuva. You can, but if you create a negative energy, that negative energy sticks with you. And you nourish it. You can change when you cry and it bothers you. You're full of regret. Or oh, God forbid a person goes through suffering. All of these things has an effect. It takes away some of, it kills the energy of the angels. It it takes away some of the negative angels. Everything you experience in life, the many regrets that we have when we do something wrong, or the pain and suffering that we have, or the tears that we shed, or everything, there's a balance. Because everything, ultimately, there's a balance in this world. Ultimately, we find, everything finds its balance. If there's an excess of one thing, it's like when a person does too, too much crime, 
the police are going to catch him. You know, you, you can't you can't go beyond the balance. It there's a check there's a checks and balances. So too, when when you create too much negative energy, that negative energy itself punishes you. That is the punishment. You you created your own worst nightmare. You created your own hell. They cause you to suffer. You're creating your own suffering. Your own negativity, your own evil that you've done creates your own suffering. And when you regret what you've done, or when you suffer for what you've done, or whatever, it alleviates some of that pressure, alleviates some of the negativity. Of course you can transform through proper truva, but you can transform it. You can even take that negative energy and transform it into something positive, the highest level of teshuva, like we learned in chapter 7. You can take negative energy and transform it into something else entirely, to something positive. But the energy is there. So anything that you do in this physical world creates, has an impact, a spiritual impact. So yes, we live in this physical world, but we also create a whole spiritual realm that we don't see. Maybe thank God we don't see. Otherwise we'll be overwhelmed. If we notice the thousands of angels <laughs> walking around us, positive and, and negative, we'll be overwhelmed. We'll be too crowded. We couldn't, we couldn't handle it. So, so we're blissfully unaware. But everything that we do in this world has a spiritual impact as well. It transforms into something spiritual. Positive and negative. So if you do mitzvot, you do Torah, it creates a positive angel. The angel is not God. The angel is a holy. You create a holy angel. It's a holy energy, but it's not God. It's not godliness. You have to, you have to make a distinction here between the godly energy that's creating us and the created being. It could be an angel, an angelic spiritual, holy, but it's not God. Let's not confuse spirituality with Godliness. It's positive, it's spiritual, it's, it lives in a holy world, but it's not God. It's only when you do the mitzvah and you're motivated with the proper intention that the mitzvah itself actually becomes godly, becomes absorbed within the godly energy, the creative energy that's creating that world, the world of emotions or whatever level you invest in the mitzvah. Okay? Rabbi Chaim Vital of Blessed Memory writes in chapter 2 of his Shar Anuvua, the portal of prophecy, that from Torah studied without Kavana, angels are created in the world of Yetzirah, and from mitzvah performed without Kavana, angels are created in the world of Asiyah. Everything in this world has a form, substance and form. Everything, not just physical beings, but even spiritual beings. As Nachmanides says, that angels also have a body and a soul, substance and form. But this, the body of an angel are spiritual. We are formed out of the four basic elements. Earth, liquid, gas, and fire, energy. Angels are formed only from two of elements. Wind, gas, and energy. But the spiritual, spiritual parallel of wind and energy. So they also have a body, spiritual body. And they have a soul. So everything in this world has form and has substance. So when Rav Chaim Vital said that when you do a mitzvah, you create an angel, a complete angel. Not only the body of the angel, but also the soul of the angel. So the body of the angel is created through your action. But the soul of the angel is created through your intent. So when he says that when you study Torah without intent, you create an angel. How is it possible? How can you create a full angel without intent? If you, cre- if you did the mitzvah without any intent, then all you have is the body. Then all you would create is the body of the angel, not the soul of the angel. 
Since he says that when you do a mitzvah without intent, you create an angel, a complete angel. So obviously what he means with intent here, he doesn't mean that you did the mitzvah without intent, literally. That can't be. We're talking about a case where you did the mitzvah and you did it with intent. Intent meaning that you're aware that you're doing a mitzvah. You're not just so sleepwalking that you just did the mitzvah without any intent. I did the mitzvah and I know I'm doing a mitzvah. But, so what does he mean without intent? He means that it was not properly motivated. It means shaloy l'shma. You did the mitzvah without the proper intention. You weren't motivated to do the mitzvah by a love of God. You just did the mitzvah mechanically, out of rote, out of habit. So yes, you knew you're doing a mitzvah, but why are you doing the mitzvah? Because it's an obligation, so you do it. But there's no sense of love for God. There's no sense of any feeling for God or any awareness of God that I'm doing this for you. And, I'm, and, and in that case, he says that even though you do a mitzvah, you do a mitzvah without intent, so the mitzvah is elevated, creates an angel, is elevated to the world of spirituality, but it does not, it's not elevated to the world of godliness. It does not elevate it to godliness. It does not become absorbed and transformed into something godly. It becomes transformed and absorbed into something spiritual, to the spiritual realm. So what kind of soul this angel has? There's no such thing as a Jew doing a sin wholeheartedly, 100%. It's no 100%, maybe 99%. But there's some part of you that's holding back, that has some reservation, that feels guilty, that doesn't feel 100% at peace with it. Maybe you drown it, you ignore it, you distract it, but it's not wholeheartedly. So the angel that you create is crippled. Just like a positive angel could unfortunately also be crippled. If you pray, and you pray so quickly, it's a broken word. So the angel has a broken arm, a broken leg. It's a, it's a cripple. Yeah. <laughs> but if you create, if you do the myth, if you do the... If you say the words of davening with the proper intent, with the proper awareness, you create a robust angel, a vibrant angel, a robust angel. We create the angels. It all depends on us. How much energy we put into it, how much, how much, what kavana we have, how we say the word, if we say it elegantly and nicely and clearly, or we just mouth the word so quickly and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, usually, exactly. So the angels all cripples, you know. So it all depends on us. But that, but the Chaim Vital writes clearly. That even when the case where there is kavana, you're aware there's a mitzvah, but without kavana, meaning it's not l'shma, you weren't motivated by an awareness of godliness, then the, the Torah mitzvah are only elevated into the spiritual world, but not, in, not, they, they're not elevated and they're not become absorbed within godliness. But that can only come about when you do mitzvah, not only with kavana, it's not enough to do the mitzvah with kavana with intent. Knowing that you're doing a mitzvah, but you also have to be aware of godliness. You have to be thinking about godliness and be, be motivated by godliness. That's what motivates you to do the mitzvah. And that's why he's saying, that's why he adds this line. All the angels have body and soul. What's the connection? We're not discussing angels here. This is not a tractate on angels. We're discussing where the Torah and mitzvah go, how they're elevated, where they're elevated to... So the Rebbe explains, based on his father, I believe Yitzchak, that's his explanation. But he's coming to explain that even though the language of Chaim Vital is that Torah without intent, but he's, the Rebbe is trying to say that when he means it without intent, doesn't mean literally without intent. That can't be, because since an angel is body and soul, and he says that the Torah without intent creates angels, fully, full angels, so obviously we're talking about that there is intent. But he means without intentions, he means shaloy l'shma. 
He has intent, but it's not motivated for the proper motivation. He's not motivated by godliness. But now he comes to the bottom of 560. You oh. might argue that Rabbi Chaim Vitalmi cannot be cited in support of the Alter Rebbe statement. The former speaks of Torah and mitzvot without kavana, while the latter deals with Torah and mitzvot that are not observed, lishma. Perhaps the meaning of without kavana is that one recited words of Torah or performed a mitzvah in a mechanical manner without involving his thought at all. Accordingly, we might say that only such a lowly level of observance is incapable of rising any higher than the level of angels. Whereas Torah and mitzvot, lacking only the quality of lishma, may indeed, we might argue, rise to be absorbed into the spiro. To forestall such an argument, the Alter Rebbe adds to Rabbi Chaim Vital's words. Now, all angels are possessed of matter and form. Similarly, with angels created of Torah and mitzvot, the angel's matter is formed by the matter of Torah and mitzvot, and their form by the form of Torah and mitzvot. Thus, any mitzvah of which an angel is created much consists of more than mere mechanical action, which is the matter of a mitzvah. It must also contain some thought, such as an understanding of the words of Torah that one recites, or the realization that he is performing a mitzvah. And this thought is the form of the mitzvah. Clearly then, Rabbi Chaim Vital is not dealing with mechanical observance when he says the Torah and mitzvah without kavana produce angels in Yitzir or Yitzir. The term without kavana as used here must refer to Torah and mitzvah lacking the intention of lishma. Yet, for lack of lishma, the Torah and mitzvot can ascend only to the level of angels, not to the sphero. All the aforesaid concerns Torah and mitzvot, which lack the intention of lishma, but which were not performed expressly, shalom lishma, for personal motives. But Torah studied strictly shalom lishma for selfish reasons, as for example, for the purpose of becoming a scholar and the like, does not ascend on high at all not even to the chambers or to the abode of the holy angels. For even the externality of the worlds is, after all, in the realm of holiness. Therefore, Torah study with such intention does not ascend even to this level, but remains instead below in this physical world, which is the abode of the Kripo. So he says that if you study Torah without any intent, then it's elevated to the world of the angels, to the holy world, which is the realm of holiness. But when you study Torah with intent, negative intent, for ego reasons, for selfish reasons, not only aren't you thinking about godliness, but you're actually thinking about yourself, selfish reasons, then the Torah doesn't, is not elevated at all. Not even to the realm of angels, but the Torah remains trapped in this world, in this physical world, which is a negative world, which is the antithesis of godliness and holiness. Maybe we'll stop here. We'll continue next week with a note. Before we leave, anyone has a question or comment or thought? You said before that everything we do, maybe this is actually going to next week, but you said that everything creates an angel, but then now it seems like he says that this specific situation does not create anything. It creates a negative. 
you create a negative angel. But if it creates a negative, how come it stays in the world? It doesn't go to heaven. Heaven meaning the holy heaven. The realm of holiness. The of the angel? Yeah, you also have a demonic world. You have a whole demonic world of negative energy. When you do a sin, you create a negative, a negative, the Mishnah says ethics now fathers. You create a prosecutor, you create a negative, a demon, you create a negative energy. So we mean Asiya, the, the action of, not of this world. Well, it remains, the Torah remains in this world. This world is the place of Klippa, the world, the place of negativity. The higher realm is a, is a, is a holy place. This world and lower, as they say, six feet under, right? This world is the place of negative. This is a negative world. Most of this world, the majority of this world is negative energy. So the whole demonic world, the whole negative angels, those are negative angels. They're mostly in this world, in the spiritual realm. But, okay, still spiritual. but of this world, of the negative, negative energy. Yeah, they're trapped in this world. But everything you do has an effect, positive or negative, absolutely. You create an energy, there's no question about it. That's what it says, you come home from shul, the two angels accompany you, they bless you, and if they don't see the, the Shabbos lit, the angels curse you. You create, you create angels, you create energy, you create, and they are attached to you. You're feeding them. So whatever we do has an effect, has an impact. Not just material, but also even beyond what the eye can see. We have, it has consequences. Everything we do has consequences. We don't live in a vacuum. Every word, not a single word gets lost. Not a single tenue, not a single movement is wasted. Everything is noticed, recorded, registers, has an impact, has an influence. Don't forget, we're in the driver's seat. We are the center of the universe. We are in the driver's seat. We are in the engine room. Whatever we do, we, we drive, we move. We influence. We can influence the positive, we can influence the negative. We can tip the scale for the positive, we can tip the scale. It's really in our hands. We're not just creatures of, of um, we're not victims of forces that are beyond us. We create forces that are beyond us. We create energies, we create. Everything we do has an effect. But in order to become godly, we have to be godly. In order for the Torah to sparkle, to become absorbed in godliness, we also have to consciously become godly. We have to be aware of godliness. We have to be motivated by godliness. We have to love godliness. And when that motivates us to do the mitzvah, then when we invest that motivation in the mitzvah, then the mitzvah tzor, the mitzvah become godly, become absorbed in godliness. Otherwise, the mitzvah are trapped in this world. They can't escape the trap until we do Teshuvah. God is enchained. We send them to the dungeon. The more Torah you study, the more, the more humiliating it is. The more energy you're feeding, the more you're... Sure. For example, if we're dabbing, and I cannot follow so fast, so what should I do? Should I eat words and creating triple angels? Or should I just like read one psalm, skip another one? How, how practical it goes? Well, firstly, if it's easier in general, you can dive in, in, in the language you understand. 
you don't have to say in Hebrew if it's easier for you to daven. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So you, you mean, so you're yeah. saying you're davening in your language you understand. It says in general, better say a little with the proper intent and say a lot and swallow the whole thing mm-hmm. without any intent. Because prayer, the whole idea of prayer is in the heart. So that's what it says, especially when it comes to the high holidays, when it's very long prayers. So the Code of Jewish Law adds, better pray a little mm-hmm. with a proper intent than pray everything with zero intent. Because prayer is all about the heart. You're talking to God. You know, just to mouth words. It's not prayer, you know. So, or what you can do is what the old Hasidim used to do. The old Hasidim used to pray very long. They would take their time praying. Spend hours and hours and hours in prayer. Because again, they wanted to experience the prayer. They wanted to feel it. They wanted to live it, not just mouth the words. Now, there were some times, some parts of prayer, they were successful. So what they did was, they made a fold on the page. says, okay, today I pray till here. Of course, they said the rest of the prayer. Mm-hmm. But the way, I really pray till here. And then the rest was just mouthing. The next day I'll go further. I'll take it a step further. You know, it's step by step. Sometimes it's a series of steps. It could be a hundred steps till you feel movement and change. So right now, you reach a point sometimes where, okay, I reached till this point, I'm good. I feel enough movement. I have to process this. I have to digest this. I need time to be able to absorb what I've just accomplished. The next day, based on, built on what I accomplished yesterday, I'll move forward. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's not that I either have to pray the whole prayer, do a little, or do portions of it with proper intent, and the rest you do. You have to follow the rules. Yes, yes. So, you know, you can... But never lose sight of what prayer is meant to be. It's a personal time between you and God. You can't get lost. The individual can't get lost. If you're just mouthing the words and, and, you, and you get a speeding ticket, and... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, God is waiting. But he has, you haven't had the conversation. You, haven't, you have an audience. And God says, no. And, you, you, you know, we're not there. We're not present. We're not there. We're not aware. We're not. That's, that would be counterproductive. So even if it's just a few minutes, even if one portion of prayer, you stop, you focus, you dwell on, heartfelt, and then the rest. And then tomorrow you can do a little more and do a little more. <laughs>